Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are trying to experience faith and spirituality beyond the fences and the walls of institutional Christianity. Accidental Tomatoes is the official content site for New Wineskins, a non-traditional online progressive faith community rooted in justice and liberation. If you're looking for a community where authenticity and inclusion are values and not just buzzwords, and where you can ask your deepest questions without fear of judgment, check out one of our Sunday night Zoom gatherings or learn more by visiting newwineskinsnetwork.org. Well, as I mentioned in my blog post last week uh, over on the AccidentalTomatoes.com website, it has been an absolutely crazy couple of months here at Accidental Tomatoes headquarters. We've had uh, all manner of unplanned and unforeseen circumstances that have just played havoc with our regular content schedule. Our, our team is working hard uh, to line up some really great guests for some upcoming episodes. But for this one, it is just me. And as you might expect, if you've been around for a while, that may mean that a rant is coming on. So, so the title of this episode is, I Can Do All Things Through a Verse Taken Out of Context. You've probably seen or heard that line before. I lifted it from a, a popular meme that has been making its way around the internet for at least a few years now. Um, and in fact, it's become such a popular phrase that I couldn't even find doing any research like if, who coined the phrase, but you can get it printed on just about any kind of merch you can imagine from t-shirts to coffee cups to stickers to water bottles, whatever you can imagine, you can find, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context, printed on just about any kind of product you want. And I've been thinking a lot lately about how just bad theology is at the root of so many of our social ills. Not, I'm not talking about the silly culture war types of things that conservative evangelical types um, want us to waste our time on, but I'm talking about like serious systemic things that continue to benefit a privileged few in our society at the express expense uh, and, and downright hardship of many others. And it seems whenever I find myself interacting with one of these culture warrior types, they will inevitably reach for their favorite little snippets of scripture of scripture, excuse me, uh, to, to wield as their weapon of choice, um, to try to prove how right they are and how wrong I am. Right. And, and you, you, y'all know these folks, um, they're the ones who seem to be able to call up just about any Bible passage from memory and toss it out as if it's the last word in any conversation. And we're supposed to be so impressed with their ability to quote the Bible that we just automatically cave in to whatever their perceived sense of authority is. Because after all, and they'll tell you this, the scripture itself is actually the authority. They're just they're just conveying the words of the authority of Scripture because, you know, God breathed it, right? At least that's what it says in 2 Timothy. And there's no truth like a self-referential truth, is there? So just for fun, tongue-in-cheek, I, I did think I would take a little time in this episode uh, to talk about a couple or three of my own favorite misused and decontextualized pieces of what I like to call bumper sticker theology, right? And and do a little deconstruction work on these passages because 
After all, that's what we do here at Accidental Tomatoes, right? So here goes. The first one of these passages that I want to unpack a little bit comes from the Hebrew Scriptures in the book of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 11. And it says this, and you probably have heard this before. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, admittedly, this particular passage makes a lot of these kinds of lists about, you know, misapplied, decontextualized, misinterpreted passages. And it's easy to see why, right? Because lifted from its original context, it feels like a nice way of saying that God has our whole lives mapped out and everything will turn out okay in the end as long as we just believe hard enough, right? I am willing to bet that you probably have friends who have this verse painted on, I don't know, some old wooden crate or something they picked up at a craft shop or the local Christian bookstore, or they have it featured in their social media profile, or it's, you know, plastered on their favorite t-shirts that they wear to church or whatever. I don't know. It, it has become a bit of a mantra for the hyper-individualistic evangelical Christianity that is so pervasive in the global West. But here's the problem, though. The writer of Jeremiah is not talking at all about God's supposed intentions for any individuals. The quote comes from a larger monologue where the prophet is telling the exiled people of Israel to settle in for the long haul. They're going to be in exile in Babylon. This, the, the specific exile here is to Babylon. And the prophet is saying, y'all are going to be here for a while, right? So far more than just telling the people to trust God and everything will work out. What the prophet Jeremiah was doing was encouraging people to live out their faith in the environment in which they find themselves, which happens to be an environment of exile into another country. In other words, Far from telling people that God would change their individual circumstances if they just believed hard enough, the prophet is saying that the path to hope and to a prosperous future is to make the best of the reality in which they find themselves. In fact, just a few verses earlier, the writer uh, records the prophet telling the people, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, rather than some kind of private individualistic promise for prosperity, what this prophet is giving to the people is a framework, I believe, for seeking beloved community with the people who they perceive to be their enemies. The message is not just believe hard enough and God will liberate you. The message is you get to choose what kind of life you're going to have. You're here now, right? And if you will live a life of love and of community, you may just find yourself liberated. All right, so that's the first. I'm not going to dwell too much on these again. And, I, and, and please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell you that your grandma has been lying to you with the way that maybe you've heard this um, this scripture interpreted before. I'm just trying to set out a few examples of the way that we kind of hyper-individualize some of these passages of scripture. And so the second one that I want to talk about is from 
um, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus is quoted as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, again, in my opinion, the misinterpretation of this verse may be responsible for more toxic Christian behavior than any other passage. And the reason, again, comes down to an, an individualistic way of interpreting, a, a hermeneutic as we would call it, um, in, I guess in seminary language, right? An individualistic hermeneutic, an individualistic interpretive lens that tries to bend this quote into some kind of an exclusivist statement about how one gains access to post-mortem glory in the afterlife. This is one of the favorite verses of people who want to twist Jesus's message into one that has less to do with life here on planet Earth than one about what happens to us after we die. Again, it's understandable how people miss the real point of this passage, especially if they come to it with some kind of preconceived notion that the whole point of Christianity is about what happens to you in the afterlife, right? And the quote comes from a conversation that Jesus is having with one of his disciples, the Apostle Thomas. And this happens in the lead-up to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And Thomas has asked Jesus, basically, where is it you're going and how do we find you when we don't know the way? Do you see how we've imposed our own assumptions on that passage? Because we know what happens in the rest of the story, right? If we have read and studied the Bible, we know that after this little dialogue with Thomas, it's not long after that before Jesus is betrayed by Judas and then tried by Pontius Pilate and is executed and then, according to the gospel writers, resurrected. And after that, the story goes, Jesus ascends into heaven. And so we impose that on our reading, but that was not what was happening in that moment. In the moment with Thomas, Jesus isn't talking about any of that afterlife stuff. He's not telling his disciples that if they just think the right thoughts about who he is, they get to go to heaven when they die. He's talking about a way of being in the world. And so far from an exclusivist statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life is really instructive for how Jesus, is, Jesus expects his followers to carry his liberation movement forward. He's not saying that the only way to get to heaven is to believe that he's God incarnate. He's saying that everyone who follows his way incarnates God in the world. Okay, so one last passage that I want to tackle for this episode, uh, and it comes from the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 28, in verses 18 and 19, the writer of Matthew quotes Jesus as saying this. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, these verses, which are known widely in Christian community as the Great Commission, uh, the, these are recorded in Matthew as Jesus's final words to his followers. Now, again, in my opinion, 
there's so much wrong with the way this passage is generally interpreted that I'm not even really sure exactly where to start. But my biggest beef is by far the way that evangelicals use it to rationalize and justify their agenda of converting everyone to Christianity, no matter what the cost, right? And I think the biggest contextual error that gets made with this passage is that it presumes that Jesus is speaking not to the followers that are in his presence at the moment, but somehow mystically to all people for all time. So instead of it being advice that Jesus gives to his disciples about carrying on his mission of justice and liberation, it becomes this disembodied intellectual exercise enforcing so-called Christian beliefs on people regardless of their own religious beliefs. And here's where I think we miss the point. When Jesus says to make disciples of all nations, he's saying something very specific, and it's not about going into every nation and converting the people who live there. I believe that maybe what Jesus is really pointing out is that is this idea of nations as institutions that are often the very worst purveyors of injustice and oppression and marginalization. It's the systems and structures of the institution that value certain lives or certain belief systems over others, and that's what needs to be reformed. It's our national institutional projects of colonialism and wealth-seeking and privilege-building that need to be converted, not the individual belief systems of the people um, who are just going about their, their lives. Could you imagine, though, what could happen if our nations could be discipled? Not just in that pie-in-the-sky-when-you-die way that evangelicals think about it, but in the ways that replace systemic evil— with a priority on the well-being of the most marginalized among us. After all, I'm pretty sure that was really the point of Jesus's message. But as long as we keep our faith boxed into an individualized, you know, just me and Jesus kind of paradigm, we're not really following the way of being that Jesus called his followers into. By the way, and, and I'll wrap all of this up with, with this little uh, observation, I think this may speak into um, a couple of kind of cultural events that have happened um, right here in the first couple of weeks of February 2023 um, when I'm recording this podcast. The first one, um, if you watched this year's Super Bowl, which was the day before I recorded this episode of the podcast, um, there were a couple of ads um, from this organization um, that, that were focused on this theme of he gets us, right? And it's these ads about how Jesus loves everyone and how we maybe have kind of missed the point uh, of all of that. Now, I'm not here to critique the ads individually. Um, they are what they are. They seem to me, um, just from my point of view, to be very much coming from the sort of colonialistic way of thinking about Jesus, that there's an agenda behind them to get people, you know, to convert to to Team Jesus or to Christianity or whatever. Um, that's all perfectly um, legitimate fodder for conversation. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm not going to try to go too deep into it right now, other than it seems to me to be sort of along these lines of these misinterpreted um, scripture passages that I'm talking about here today. The other thing 
um, that's been happening um, in, in the past several days here uh, is, has been happening on the campus of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, where participants and observers have been reporting some this massive revival in this small Christian college and then in Asbury Theological Seminary, which sits just across the street from the university in, in Wilmore. At, at the time of this recording, Students at the university and the seminary, and they've been joined, um, as word got out, they've been joined in the past few days by curious and pious folks from all over the country. They've been participating in this extended worship service that's been going on for, I think, something like five days now. Honestly, I, I kind of lost track. Now, I don't know what's happening there. I'm not on the ground in Wilmore. I did attend Asbury Seminary about a decade ago, and I have a feel for what the campus community there is like. And, and a big part of its identity was a similar kind of revival that took place there back in the 1970s. Now, again, I'm not there. I can't interpret firsthand what's going on. I have no doubt that people are experiencing something that they believe to be spiritual and authentic, and they are reporting on that. And that's fair. Um, in my opinion, though, whether or not what's happening there can truly be called a revival in any sense is a question that can't be answered until we begin to see the fruits of it, you know, kind of come to life. If it's truly some kind of deep mystical experience of the divine, I think we should expect to see hundreds or thousands or however many people are involved taking up the call to justice and liberation in their own communities. But if all we see is kind of a continued doubling down on the kind of conservative evangelical rhetoric that, frankly, Asbury University and Asbury Seminary are known for, I think maybe we can safely say that this revival is little more than some kind of episode of, of mass emotional manipulation um, that resulted in an extra long wor worship service, um, but little else that transforms the world. Again, we'll just have to wait and see what happens there, but... But that's for for whatever it's worth. That's that's my two cents on those two kind of cultural markers that we've seen kind of thrown out these last few days. So that's it for this episode. Uh, I know it's a, a short one, um, but as always, I hope it just provides you with a little food for thought. Again, um, my aim here is never to, to really change your mind uh, or to try to get you to think like I do. It's just um, to get you to think, right, to, to consider um, other possibilities uh, than the way that maybe you've always heard some passage read or interpreted. As always, your comments and suggestions are welcome. You can reach out to us on any of our social media channels. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, uh, and you can send us a note there, or you can drop us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And so until next time, my friends, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.